Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. We live in a world of people that are afraid of things they don't understand. Why are we here? Why is there so much pain? Why do I feel so empty? No one's fucking talking about it. And no one is telling me the truth. And that's why I'm so open and honest about my borderline personality disorder, because it's the truth. Mental health diagnoses don't actually exist, but human beings do. Like the word disorder. Is our personality supposed to be in order? I am not going to fucking enter this field pretending like I'm okay. We are all fucking humans first. So can you just sit with that for a fucking minute before you diagnose me? Thank you. Every human being has the capacity for change. Anybody that tells you otherwise is telling you a load of bullshit. Your brain got you here and your brain can get you out. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I have an incredibly special episode for you today. I will be interviewing Dr. Courtney Tracy, also known as The Truth Doctor on all of her social media. And let me tell you, Courtney is all about getting real, which makes her the perfect guest for this podcast. You don't hear a lot of mental health professionals talk like Courtney does. And by that, I mean, she owns the fact that she struggles with borderline personality disorder. She is fierce about destigmatizing mental health, and she is completely fearless and unafraid to call out bullshit when she sees it, which is what this space desperately needs. There is so much value in this episode for people who struggle with BPD, people who love someone with BPD, or just anyone who is exhausted with just the injustice and bullshit that is the current state of the mental health world right now. We need change. And people like Courtney are out there fighting for change. I also just love a professional who's not afraid to just drop a good F-bomb. So if you're ready to feel seen, to agree with something so much that you just want to scream out loud, to feel hopeful that there are professionals out there who get it and are fighting for you, listen to this episode. You're going to want to take notes. You're going to want to laugh. You're going to want to cry. And I just can't wait for you to hear Courtney's story. So let's get into it. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. All this focus, focus is supposed to be scientific. This podcast is not a substitute for professional treatment of BPD. I am not a psychiatrist, a therapist, or a doctor. I'm a human being sharing the highs and lows of my own recovery. Expect mature subject matter. Probably put the kids away. Above all else, this is a place for getting real, so triggering topics will come up. All right, if you're into it, let's get into it. You have entered Back from the Borderline, the place to be for the tea on all things BPD. I'm your host, Molly. After my diagnosis, I decided to make it my life's mission to become an emotional grown-up. This marked the beginning of a journey of self-discovery and research that resulted in massive mindset shifts. The more I learned, the less control my BPD symptoms had over my life. On this podcast, I'll be serving up all the tips, tricks, and vulnerable conversations you'll need to deepen and expand your own recovery process as you join me in mine. You are not alone. Together, let's design a life free of BPD. All right, time to settle in and get ready to absorb today's episode. Courtney, tell us a little bit about you, your qualifications, and your background. Well, first, I just want to say thank you so much for having me on this podcast. Actually, just me saying thank you brought up like emotion right away because I'm just so thankful that you and your perspective on BPD uh, is becoming more relevant and more seen and more known. And so it is a true honor to be on this podcast. So thank you so much. My name is Dr. Courtney Tracy. I am a world-renowned psychotherapist, clinical entrepreneur, and mental health content creator. I, after growing a platform of almost 2 million people who were looking for relatable, no BS mental health information, I sold my first company and fully dedicated myself to my Truth Doctor platform. What I do is I teach people about how the mind and body work, as well as work significantly hard on destigmatizing mental health in all sectors of our existence, from education to employment 
parenting and the media, including social media. And I've also given away over $1 million of free mental health education to people around the world. Who are you? Who is Courtney as a person? Beneath the licensed clinical social worker and doctor of clinical psychology, licensure and education, 12 years of clinical education. Before that, and I still am, Courtney Tracy. I was born in Southern um, Orange County, California, to a to teenage parents who did not work out just a couple months after I was born. I grew up in my grandparents' house um, in poverty in a multi-generational household with um, an ACE score of nine, a lot of struggle. So growing up, I started using drugs and alcohol. My drug of choice was methamphetamine when I was 15. And then a bunch of ecstasy and alcohol and marijuana and going to raves in limos at 15 to LA, just selling drugs to my friends. And I I somehow, you know, I I have a lot of the resilience that was really helpful. Like um, I did develop severe anxiety, borderline personality disorder, and just a lot of really intense trauma responses as a result of my upbringing. But what I also got from my upbringing was resilience factors in the sense of I knew that people, I knew that my family loved me. And I also knew that they want to be myself. So although where I lived was extremely chaotic I, I felt like I belonged there, even though I didn't want to. And that is actually something that I think really helped me survive and thrive was just knowing that it, I was okay to be me as long as I could get to a place where I felt that way too. So there's so much to unpack there. I could mm-hmm. ask like 70 questions based upon just that alone. What the first thing I'd love to ask you is you mentioned that you have an ACE score of nine and I am aware what an ACE score is, but I think this is a great opportunity to talk a little bit to the audience about what an ACE score is. And I've delved into this a little bit, but I don't think that enough mental health professionals are leading with ACE scores because I think that's such a fantastic way to understand one's trauma and how to kind of start unpacking a recovery. So do you want to talk a little bit about the ACE score? nine is a very high ACE score for everyone listening, like incredibly high. I think mine is like three or four to put that in perspective. So um, I'd love to hear you talk about that a bit more. Yeah, I would love to. And thank you so much for sharing yours as well. Yep. The ACE score, ACE stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. And it was a study that was conducted by Kaiser and the CDC to determine if early child if early adverse childhood experiences contributed to chronic physical or mental health issues in the future another interesting point before i sort of dive into how this, the scale and score works is it was done with mostly a Caucasian population, middle class that could afford insurance. So what this really showed was that if this was the outcome of mental health and adverse childhood experiences on physical health in a population where we have access to the things that we need and are treated with mostly respect country, um, if it's this detrimental to us, just imagine what it's doing to people who don't have and couldn't afford to be in that study or whatever it was. So 
it's really a heavy study. And what it showed was it listed 10 different types of childhood experiences that would be considered adverse. They range from living in a house with someone who has mental health disorders or alcohol and drug use issues, being physically hit, like you would be physically hit by an adult, having a family member that jail, experiencing emotional neglect or physical neglect, and seeing your mother being treated or your caregiver being treated um, with physical abuse or emotional abuse and so on. So the highest score that you can get is a 10. And if you have, and people who have a score of four or more are more likely to experience depression, more likely to experience suicidality, and then more likely to experience for example, chronic pulmonary lung disease, just because of the experiences that we had in our childhood, it can make us develop lifelong physical disorders. For the listeners, I will link to a quiz to where you can find your ACE score and also all the lists of the different um, components of what make that up. Something that you brought up and you said, you know, when I was studying ACEs, something that took me by surprise was how closely related physical ailments and immune diseases are related to ACE scores. I even had my breast implants removed at one point because I thought maybe that was contributing to all these autoimmune issues I was having. I was having random hives. I thought it was food intolerances. And so then when I connected all of this ACE study to myself, I was like, oh my God. And I have so much trauma in my own family history as well, like lots of addiction issues, physical abuse, and then seeing how much a lot of my family members struggled with autoimmune diseases and health problems. I think we're just at the beginning of understanding how closely related our mental health is to our physical health. Yeah. I don't know how we allowed ourselves as a species with as much cognitive intellectual ability as we have to ignore the body connection for as long as we have when centuries and thousands of years ago, Eastern medicine and Eastern philosophy informed us of this. Honestly, probably at the beginning of time, like once we realized yes. we were at the center of the universe and we started to realize that we were more than just, you know, bloodletting in order to get the demons out of us, <laughs> Some leeches, right? Like we we've known, we have known, we have known for so long. And you know, I'm not a conspiracy person, but there, there there's a reason. There has to be a reason that it's been ignored. There has to be a reason. And I think that it will come to light eventually because the information, we've had it for so long. But even the phrase disease is dis-ease, right? Right. Which Mm -hmm. is less about what's going on in the body. It's more about your emotions. And I'm learning so much now that a lot of my physical ailments and things that were starting to appear with me, now that I've gotten a better understanding and handle on my mental health, these things just go away. I no longer have these food intolerances. I no longer have the hives that I was struggling with. I no longer feel fatigued all day, every day. You know, Um, my, my acne started going away. It's just pretty incredible. Did you ever experience physical manifestations of your high A score? Yeah. I mean, I still do. So I haven't had any autoimmune issues. 
honestly yet. It's been like one of the biggest discussions of my life in the last year and a half since my dad was diagnosed with MS randomly. So it's like, I've been really um, careful to watch my body and I feel like I can feel my nerves. Like, you know, when you like string on a guitar and it like hums and the string just moves and vibrates, like it feels like that's what happens in my body all the time. Just like this nervous, this literal nervous energy. And really what that is, is your my nervous system and my immune system and my endocrine system, everything in my body working together saying something's wrong. I still yes. have hypervigilance. I still have really severe anxiety. I don't have panic attacks like, like, you know, other people would have panic attacks where it lasts for a couple minutes up to five or 10. My panic attacks last in my body for weeks. So tense mm-hmm. muscles, holding my breath, feeling so extremely fatigued, not being able to pay attention to what's going on around me. And all of that is a direct and prior manifestation of the conditioning of my childhood and of my relationships. That is just fascinating. I talk a lot about Pete Walker's work on this podcast. I'm a huge fan of Pete Walker and his research into CPTSD. And I'm also finding how much overlap there is in BPD and CPTSD for me, because I know a a lot of researchers say, you know, there is no abandonment issues in CPTSD. I disagree. Pete Walker disagrees. And he talks about the phenomenon of an emotional flashback. And I resonate with that so much. And I gave the example on the last episode of like, even if my boss just slacks me and says, hey, can we talk? I will literally go into an emotional flashback. My heart will start beating. I will literally start playing out every paranoid narrative of I'm going to get fired, what I'm going through, everything that I did wrong. And my boyfriend, for example, who doesn't experience the same mental health problems as me, he's like, what are you doing? Like (laughs) he he wants to talk. And I'm like, and that is, I'm the same with you. Like if someone is upset with me, it's like, I will literally have like an extended mini panic attack, which I feel like is an emotional flashback. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, it absolutely does. Like completely. And and I love that you brought up that that your boyfriend be like, "What's going on?" and yeah. I don't understand. And and what's really what came up for me when you said that was was um, like imagine if we had this re- imagine if we were at a place in the world where we could have that reaction like face to face with our boss. Like we're just like, "Oh shit." Like, uh, like you're freaking me out right now. And like, <laughs> yes. and like, but, but how would our bosses respond? Like, they would probably be like, what the fuck's wrong with you? Like you're fired. Like you're too much of a liability uh, yes. you're out. And it's just like, I can't, I just can't believe we live in a world like that. It's like, oh, so my normal human response to the shit that I've been through and me trying to push through it to be the best employee I can be is not enough for you. Absolutely. And it's, and then it just creates even more shame for someone because in those moments, not only am I going through that emotion, I'm knowing that a quote unquote normal person wouldn't feel this way. And so then I'm going, why can't I just be normal? I have so many people saying the word like neurotypical. And what is your reaction as a professional who has dedicated so much of her life to? you know, education in this space. For me as like a layman, I don't have any qualifications, but I spend all of my time reading about psychology and 
whenever I hear neurotypical, I kind of bristle at that because I'm like, who the fuck Courtney is neurotypical? What is neurotypical? I feel like everyone on earth suffers from some type of depression and anxiety. And I feel like we have this neurotypical pedestal somewhere Mm -hmm. that everyone's attempting to get to that in my eyes doesn't exist. Yes. I'm really glad that you said that because I feel the exact same way in (gasps) general. Like, okay. (laughs) I mean, I'm a, I'm a very existential person and it's been every word that comes out of my mouth. I'm like, we fucking made this word up. Like it's not an actual thing. Literally. So like, I mean, we use the words and the labels because they have been operationally defined. People understand what we mean when we say them. So that's why we use them, but they become cages and they become barriers and they become like, if you have borderline personality disorder, this is how it manifests in you. And if you have autism, then your brain should be working like this, but it's not. And it's like, I've never met a normal person in my life ever. Not once, not either, not even the hundreds of therapists I've met. I've never met one fucking stable therapist in my life. (laughs) Same me either. (laughs) And I've met a lot of therapists, quite frankly, who don't do the work themselves. Right. Right. That to me is a huge issue. And that brings me to my next question. (laughs) So you're very open about the fact that you have uh, struggled with BPD. And yet again, I have more questions for you about just the term borderline personality (laughs) disorder anyway. I only think it's useful in the fact that it gives us this framework that then we can find useful tools to find our own journey. Like everything's so individual. But that's for another question. But you're open about your BPD, which I really love. The amount of questions and feedback I've gotten um, on Instagram, I could say that I've probably, since I've started this account five months ago, I've gotten like 12 to 15 messages from mental health professionals. And a lot of them are um, younger, like, and I say, when I say younger, I mean, probably like 35 and younger seeming just based on what I can gather from looking at them. Mm -hmm. And they are saying, I am in a mental health space. I'm trying to learn how to help other people with personality disorders. I myself have BPD, but I'm terrified to come out and say that I have it because I'm around my supervisors. Mm -hmm. The people who are training them are she, they say in the coffee room talk, this the stigmatized, awful bullshit that is said about people with BPD, chronic suicidality, chronic self-harm. They're just they talk about them as if they are just lost causes. And I had a girl message me not too long ago and she goes, I'm hearing all this stuff. And she goes, and as I'm looking them dead in the face, my supervisors, she's like, I wish I could just grab them and shake them and say, I have fucking BPD. Like we are not a lost cause, but they're terrified to even come out and say they have it because of the judgment. And Marsha Linehan herself was Mm -hmm. like scared of coming. And for the listeners, she's the creator of DBT. She didn't come out for a very long time until I think she was on stage and some guy said, are you one of us? Mm -hmm. And I think that was the time that she like kind of was put on the spot, but it took her a long time and it's understandable because of the stigma. So that's my tirade. What's your reaction to all of that? My reaction is that we live in a world of people that are afraid of things they don't understand and that we 
intentionally don't understand things that we don't want to understand. So people don't want to understand us. People don't want to understand anything that would allow more diversity in this world and less conformity and where it would, you know, like there, people are so afraid to normalize hard things. Like, let's just pretend they don't exist. Let's just pretend they are a lost cause. So we don't have to spend our time and energy, one, learning about what it is, and two, meeting the fucking human beings that are behind this label that we've now placed on them. I have not been capable of being anybody but myself my whole life. So, but when I was younger, I really tried. I got dropped off at my neighbor's houses instead of mine because I didn't want people to see where I lived. I lied to the friends that I did have about my mom having more money than she did. And that's just weird fucking shit. Like, oh, my mom's going to win this lawsuit soon and we're going to become millionaires. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? 11 year old Courtney? Like, you know, but this, (laughs) this like, how do I like define who I am as anybody other than who I really am? And that didn't work out well for me at all. Um, hard it, relate, hard relate. I lied so much as a yeah. as a, a younger person, and I know now it was like, what do you think was behind those lies? For me, it was behind. It was desperate attempts at connection with people. You yep. know, yeah, that's exactly what it was for me too. And it was mm-hmm. because I didn't see. And this is actually like a pretty great summary of the first chapter of the book that I'm writing. And it's like, I didn't, I didn't, no one was connecting with me. No one showed me how, and I didn't see any good connection in my household. I actually had a mom, you know, she was really young and and she would sneak out of our house and I would help her because it was my grandparents' house. So I would help her put on like the type of attire that she wanted to wear to go out to be with these men. And then she'd put her pajamas on on top of that outfit. And then she would sneak out of the bathroom door. And I would have to lie about where she was if they ever found her missing. So that's the kind of shit that I was like introduced to when it came to like relationships and connection and identity and watching my mom be different people for different reasons. And so I your started, mom had BPD. I don't think she does because she didn't have any of the behavioral cis responses. She just is a lost human being trying to find her place still, yeah. still like many uh, of us. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Common human condition. Right. Not talked about enough. You talked a lot about existential thoughts earlier and you made a post, um, that I thought was really beautiful a while back. And it was kind of you walking with your son. And for those that are listening, you know, Courtney's a mother. It was a lot about your existential thoughts and how like you don't want to lie to your kid about these things and paint this like picture of life being like happy. I did a whole episode about feelings of emptiness because for me, that was like the biggest thing with BPD that when I read it, I was like, fuck yes. When I was probably five, I remember being in my room and like, thinking about dying and like thinking about the foreverness of dying, like forever, ever, ever, ever. And like literally feeling like I was going to just like, I didn't know what to do with the weight of that concept as such a young child. And not only that, I thought about then what happened? What was I before I was born? Like that almost actually scared me more. (laughs) Yeah. And so I was just like, holy fuck. 
And when I would go to my parents about this or my older sister, I have a half sister and she's much older than me. And I remember telling her like, Brandy, what happened? Like, do you, do you ever get scared of that stuff? And the response I got is like, don't think about that. Normal people don't think about that. And when I did that chronic feelings of emptiness episode where I really dove into, and I was spiritually starved. And I think so much we are spiritually starved now where it's like, you didn't have anyone. If I had someone like a Zaz, my boyfriend had Tibetan monks staying in his house. Do do you know what I'm saying? And his mother read spirituality books and Eastern medicine books and they, she could sit down. If someone sat down with me as a very intelligent young child and said, it is so normal for you to be thinking about this, explain the concept of spirituality to me just from a general perspective. But instead I was told, push it down. Yes. Push it down. Oh my God. I'm like shaking with fucking <laughs> gratitude. <laughs> like, okay. The fact that you said Tibetan Buddhist monks, like that's what I practice. I yes. practice Tibetan Buddhism and not fully but I'm getting there, but I'm also healing. So it's like- And I you don't have to practice anything for right. you either. It's like just right. find things that resonate with you that give you that peace. But yeah, continue. Yeah. yeah same, same. I found so- Marsha Linehan herself is a mm-hmm. Zen master, right? right. So, And then this <laughs> other psychologist who I absolutely love, who's like the head of Senior Sinai in New York, Zen master. And yeah. he's the head of personality disorder research. There's, there's gems in there. <laughs> there is. Well, and there's just, there's- like there's a reason why the greatest intervention, clinical intervention by Dr. Linehan is DBT and it infuses mindfulness and it infuses pausing and it infuses acceptance, radical acceptance of everything that's going on in the world. And at spirituality is really what saved me too. It was, I lived my whole life with these questions of why are we here? Why is there so much pain? Why do I feel so empty? We're on a fucking rock in the middle of the world, in the middle of the universe. No one's fucking talking about it. I feel like I'm empty because I want to be filled with the truth and no one is telling me the truth. So that's part of why I call myself what I call myself, because one, we need to be telling the truth about everything that we feel and everything that has happened and the reality of the fact that there's no reality and that when people are in existential crises or are chronically suicidal, the thoughts that they are having are normal fucking thoughts to be having. Does my life have meaning? What's going to happen after I die? Do I matter? What's the purpose of my life? All of these questions, that's a critical part of being a human and we should be given answers to those questions when we're younger so that when we're older and we are having those questions arise, they do not become the scariest thoughts we have ever had in our entire lives. Yes. I feel like I could just like play like trumpets right now. (laughs) Why the fuck is it not talked about more? Like, why is it that when you go into a mental health professional's office and you're talking about these existential thoughts and their automatic response, I'll tell you what, every single mental health professional that I've walked into, and this is mostly psychiatrists. I have beef with psychiatrists. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Um, that but, makes sense. Yeah. Okay. I kind of got beef and I've got beef with a lot of the mental health uh, industry, but as do you, and as should a lot yeah. of us, but yeah. every single general practitioner that I've gone into, psychiatrist that I've gone into, I have walked out with a fucking prescription that I didn't need. And sometimes multiple. Yeah. And, and instead of pointing me in the direction of like, 
And I know that we shouldn't be forcing spirituality onto people, but I feel like people are so scared of to bring up spirituality now that it's like, why on earth have we gotten to a place where we're more willing to throw multiple prescriptions at people than we are to suggest a path of spirituality when that could be that I'm coming out like that saved me understanding myself from a spiritual perspective, universal concepts that we are deprived of being exposed to as young children that then lead to mental health problems, in my opinion. Yeah. And as as a professional, I can say I have the exact same opinion as you, Mm. the exact same opinion. And that's why I'm so open and honest about my borderline personality disorder and everything that I've been through, because it's the truth. It's the truth about what's going on. And then, then I'm capable of saying, you know, I like answering the questions of like, so, so how, like, so how do you live your life with that? I'm like, just like a brain that has some edge. Like I'm probably talking to one right now too, you know, like to whoever you are, any person I'm sitting in front of, it's like, we need to normalize that having chronic feelings of emptiness and existential crises and suicidality and depression and addiction issues and attachment issues. Like all this shit is a direct result of pretending like this shit doesn't exist. Yes, it is so true. Marsha Linehan, I said this on another episode as well, but like sometimes I think what is the treatment she would have created if she Mm -hmm. didn't have to jump through so many bullshit hoops? Because right now it's like, there's so much red tape in the mental health field. And it just really makes me wonder what if people like you could create treatments without all of these, this red tape, like the DSM five, the American psychiatric association. It's like, Courtney, how do we change things? How? (laughs) That's a really great question. And I'm, it makes me emotional to have you ask because I wish I could just do it. I wish I could just like, just have people be honest about what they know. Like people know, they know the people that made the DSM, they know that they're leaving shit out. They know that they're being judgmental. They know that they're basing it off of a very small group of people in comparison to the world. And they know that their book is then being utilized by the insurance companies that are determining whether or not people can get better. And Mm -hmm. it's a fucking joke. And my goal with my platform is to be 100% authentic at all times and fucking kill it so that I can make my way up the chain. Like I literally just got off the phone with the LA Times Today show where they were asking me because of what I've done on my platform. Like I've infused my personal experience with my professionalism to the point where they said, what should be the mental perspective on our show? Are you willing? come on regularly and talk about world events and things that are going on in the world through your perspective on mental health. And I said, yeah, we need somebody other than Dr. Phil coming out and telling people about how to see mental health, how to treat mental health and that, that mental health diagnoses don't actually exist, but human beings do. And we need to start addressing that. That is such a good segue into my next question. Oh, so (laughs) What do you think of, and I think I already, you are, I already know your answer to this, <laughs> but what do you think of the term 
personality disorder to begin with, because I brought up that psychiatrist and I'll link to it in the show notes. He, I wish I could rattle off his name, but he's just this fantastic man. And I just watched him do like, I'll have to send it to you too. It's like an hour and a half long interview that he did with my boyfriend Zaz's mom works for a Buddhist charity. And so they bring mental health professionals that are practicing Buddhists on to talk about like their career. And he is a person head of personality disorder research. I'm butchering his title at (laughs) Sinai in New York, but he says that he believes that the term personality disorder should be thrown out completely and replaced with interpersonal vulnerabilities. And I love that so much more because it is so much less stigmatizing. What do you think about the term borderline personality disorder? I mean, I, it's like, the amount of people that take that term as an excuse to not help another human being Mm -hmm. makes me so angry and emotional because there are just countless human beings around the world that are so much more than three fucking words. And I think that it's, it's similar to just like the word disorder is like, okay, so as our personality supposed to be in, in, in order, like, what does that mean? And like, like I literally don't. And also what is order and who decides what order is. Right. Exactly. And like, is it really a disorder if it's, if, if what we experienced, if the normal response to what we experienced is what we are now experiencing, it's actually not out of order. It's actually exactly what the fuck our body and mind are supposed to do to help keep us alive. Like our behaviors are not us trying to actually end our life, even if it is active suicidality, our behaviors are an attempt for our mind to save us. So can you uh, elaborate on that? Because I talk a lot about on the podcast where it's like, look, BPD is just a framework of patterns that you have learned as a child to protect yourself and keep you safe. But those are maladaptive patterns. And as we get older, they start eroding our relationships and our quality of life, but we can relearn new ways. So I'd love to hear you um, elaborate on that. Yeah. Well, I mean, the first thing I'll do is just give my like, I agree with that doctor. It should not be called borderline personality disorder. I love interpersonal vulnerabilities. Like, fuck yes. Mm. That actually describes the internal experience of the person that's struggling. And and if said the other way, it's the other person's, it's the outside person's perspective to say personality disorder. And we shouldn't be placing labels on people that are defined by the people that aren't experiencing them. We should actually have them define what's happening within the person, just like in a fucking medical condition or a physical condition. You're not like, oh, that person's leg looks weird. It'd be like, oh, their leg is broken. Like they have a broken femur, for example, you know, like what's actually going on and what's going on is interpersonal vulnerabilities based off of things that we've experienced in our past. Absolutely. I would love to hear, did you receive a formal diagnosis of borderline personality disorder? And when did that happen? And also what made you start initially feeling like, I don't like saying what's wrong because it would insinuate that something was wrong, but what kind of made you start feeling like, Hmm, I need to go seek help. What did pre-doctor Courtney's mental Mm -hmm. health journey look like? Yeah. Well, I think that that actually, I could answer the question. I 
accidentally bypassed with this one as well. So, <laughs> so fine. Um, I, I could, it was when my symptoms started to impact my life. Like I actually started to experience the distress in certain areas of my life. And I was formally diagnosed in 2012 after I went on a massive drug binge, cheated on my husband with like multiple people in one night and came home and he was like, this is it. Like I, you have to get treatment. Like, and I had already done so many things to hurt this man. Mm -hmm. We had already been together for seven years at that point. I had probably cheated on him like 10 times a year, every year. And he still stayed with me. He knew about every time it was a fucking disaster. So, and that was me like with interpersonal vulnerabilities and trying to run away and trying to numb and trying to fill that chronic emptiness. And I was afraid of him and his ability to really love me. I Mm -hmm. wasn't ready for it. I didn't think I could do it. So what I realized was that these behaviors were a direct result of the things that I had experienced in my past. So like, for example, with this whole thing with my mom and like helping her put on lingerie when I was like 10 and, and having that and having her leave me to go be with men instead of take care of me. It was like, oh, sex is more important. Flings are more important. So when I got that hypersexuality and that hyper just, yeah, that, that promiscuity, you know, like that, that's one of the labels of, I hate, I promiscuous, hate you know, sexual acting out. Yeah. Is one sexual, of the, I hate that shit. Yeah. And I so, call it, I've called it sex as self-harm. A researcher in the UK reached out to me to take part in some research, actual research and people with BPD with lived experience about how we view BPD and sexuality, because yeah. there's not enough that talks about it. We're not doing this for fucking fun. Right. <laughs> I know. And the thing is, is I think that's why my husband stayed with me because he knew, he knew it was self-harm. He knew it was self-sabotage. So, so what I realized was that, you know, after all the things that I experienced in my childhood, which is, there's a lot more than just that with my mom, Mm -hmm. you know, that would lead to that. Mm -hmm. I realized that these were just like, this was a way of me protecting myself. Me going out and doing this was me saying, one, I have control over my own body Two, This is what I saw my mom prioritize more than taking care of me. So my brain was literally saying in order to survive in the world, in order like, this is what adults do. Like, and you need to grow up because you're taking care of yourself already. So you need to go out and do this shit. And so when we manifest symptoms based off of what we have experienced in the past, which is where all symptoms come from, Mm -hmm. we are told that there is a disorder, something going on with us that we should be able to experience what we experienced and not have these symptoms. How the fuck else how would you like to respond to this, John? What would you like to do? You know, what do you think your mind and body are going to do? Because you actually don't get a fucking say in the way that your body and mind respond if you don't know how it works. And then you become disordered and then you're put away. And I feel yes. like part of it, you know, a little bit earlier, I'm like, I'm not like a conspiracy person. A part of it, I think, is that we can just let the world still be shitty in all of these areas and then blame people for having quote unquote shitty responses to it. But then they're the problem, not the original problem. So it's manifestation. That's exactly right. Yeah. So it's manifestations of us trying to protect ourselves. It's our brain and body going, I think that this is right. 
I think that this is what you're supposed to be doing. This is how you're going to help yourself. And this is how you're not going to feel pain, even though we may be causing ourselves or other people pain. Mm. It's so, it's so true. I grew up with not having any family members that were very, like, I'm a very cuddly person. I need a lot of physical touch reaffirming words. And it's just like they say that there could be two kids in in the same family and one can develop PPD and the other one doesn't. And that happened in my family. I know I was a very highly sensitive child and it wasn't a good fit with me and my Mm -hmm. parents. It wasn't a good fit. And I have a lot of people reaching out to me too that say, I never experienced like abuse and horrors in my childhood, but I still developed a BPD. And I like to be a good example of that because I had all my basic needs met. I'm, and I consider myself to be extremely lucky and privileged. However, I was spiritually starved. I did not have a good example as of our, my parents who have since become a lot healthier in their relationship, unfortunately, after both my sister and I left the house. Mm-hmm. But when I grew up, I saw nothing but my mom kind of like being the emotional doormat of my dad. And my no one told me about sex or healthy sex. We didn't talk about it. I remember I used a an electric toothbrush as a vibrator for the first time when I was 14 years old. Mm-hmm. And my mom came into my room and she was looking for a toothbrush and she found it under my bed. And I remember her coming in and finding it under my bed and the look of disgust and shame on her face when she looked at me and found that. And ever since then, I was just like, so horrified with myself. And I remember the only times I felt seen was when a guy thought I was hot and pretty and I loved being pursued by a man who, but I knew that if they actually got to know me, they would find out about all my flaws. So I could be safe in this little coquettish, come get me kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. And then I would fuck them once. And then it's like, I'd call it the ick where I'd be like, ew, discard them. Yeah. As soon as I was done, because I knew that the moment they started to to get to know me, they would have to deal with my shit. And it's like those brief moments of them really wanting me. Mm -hmm. I lived for that. For me, it was everyone. It was what did ever, because, you know, I want men, women, whatever is like, what does everybody think of me? Am I good enough? Am I pretty enough? And then it would be like, oh, they like me. Even I don't care if I'm in a relationship, but here's the thing. It wasn't, I don't care consciously. It wasn't, I don't care unconsciously. It was like, well, whatever you need to go pursue this so that you can make sure that you are still relevant in the world that like you matter, that people want you because it felt like nobody wanted you. And that's that fear of abandonment is like, oh, I need this constant reassurance that I'm super wanted all over the world, but like not consciously, like it wasn't like an egotistical thing or a narcissistic thing or a selfish thing. It was like, it was like a survival. It was like, and it was unintentional. It was automatic. I didn't have unconscious, right? It's something yeah. it's, it's just the framework. And that's for me, like when you become aware of it, and I talk about this in the podcast a lot with BPD in our recovery. And I don't know if you relate to this too. It's like, you have these milestone aha moments where it's like, finally you're aware of these like spiritual concepts yeah. or things where you're like, Oh, fuck. I have been sabotaging myself with this. And I never knew Yeah. And I would take that a step further too, to say that we may have only been, we may have only been sabotaging ourselves because the world intentionally has sabotaged us and our thought processes for as long as we can remember. Sometimes I have a hard time working with just 
with people that, that don't have, I don't even know if a therapist has ever said this, but I, sometimes I have a hard time working with people that don't have borderline personality disorder. <laughs> it's just harder for people that haven't experienced certain things in their body and their minds to grasp like the existential shit I'm trying to say to them as like their therapist. Like what really changed my life was truly understanding. Sometimes I'm struggling and I just think I feel like I'm sitting on this couch right now, but I'm not, but my body's not actually touching it. Like we are made of atoms. Like this is all like our created reality. Like no one actually understands or knows me for me. Like the me that I know, nobody else can know or ever will know. And that can be frightening. But Mm -hmm. if you've been through what you've been through or experienced borderline personality disorder, it can be really reassuring to know that not everybody is thinking about you and not everybody, even if they are judging you, is judging the real you and that we're spinning on a rock of land and water in the universe and that my thoughts are not the biggest thing that have ever existed. And so it's these concepts of just like nothing really matters and that lets me decide what does And there's no meaning, no true meaning to anything. And I don't have to subscribe to somebody else's meaning of me or the label that I have or what's going on in the world. And I can define that for myself. I like to say that things that used to scare me, like, for example, like thinking nothing actually really matters, you know, the way it's the way you think about that, that can either be the scariest realization or it can be the most empowering realization. And I think for people with BPD, it's empowering because we spend so much of our time in these, Zaz likes to say, like, we've come up with like game plans for when I'm like splitting or when I'm having episodes. And I'm sure you can relate where I just have Zaz. We've developed a trust enough to where I know if he's telling me something, he's telling it to me for my highest good. And you have to develop a relationship with someone and really Mm. make sure that they're vetted and they do have your best interests at heart. But Zaz does. And he tells me, he's like, I've told him to tell me when I'm having like one of my narrative moments where I'm spinning off and creating a story that doesn't exist. He's like, you're creating narratives in your mind again. Like that is not my experience of reality right now. Like come back down. And I think it's interesting that you bring up, we're living in a world where it's so ironic to me that BPD is so stigmatized because BPD is about splitting and thinking we're supposedly so self-centered and the center of the universe we're living in a world right now where everyone is so obsessed with right. their identity. There's nothing wrong with seeking identity, but I think that it's a symptom of a bigger problem where it's like we we want to have labels and we are so set on having a label to feel safe. Yeah. Well, our brain does that. You know, I think what we've done is we have really capitalized on the newest parts of the brain processes that we have as humans. Like we humans want to connect the dots. They want to fill in the spaces. They want to categorize and sequentialize and systemize. And because that's what, that's literally how our brain works. That's what happens on the neurological level. And we've expanded that into the societal level and the interpersonal level. But the thing is, is we have many more parts of our brain that 
would allow for more unification, more connection, more equality, and more diversity and more acceptance if we activated those. But we don't activate those because it starts from the top down. What Mm -hmm. do we need to protect ourselves as a country? We need power, control, and money. So power, control, and money is most easily achieved by creating systems and labels and placing people into categories for more control. And that goes down into our employers. That then goes down into our families. That then goes down back into our brains. And it only re-solidifies the aspects of human beings that are keeping us fucking separate. That is so, so beautifully articulated and it's so true. And I think that's why stepping into the world of mental health advocacy can feel so incredibly overwhelming. And I've only been in this space for such a flicker of a short period of time. And you have been at this for much longer than I have. And so many others that I follow as well. It is so overwhelming to try to think about making a difference when the very systems at the very top are set up against us. Yeah. Oh, completely. Yeah. That's why actually the moment I think I got licensed two months before I started the truth doctor, I'm like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to fucking do it. I was licensed. I had just gotten my doctorate and I was drowning in traumatic responses because of something that happened in my family earlier that year. And I'm like, you know what? I am not going to fucking enter this field pretending like I'm okay. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to be dishonest. I'm going to completely tell the truth. And luckily, what happened with my platform was that we entered into a pandemic where nobody had a fucking choice to ignore what it is that was going on within our bodies and our minds. And I came in and I said, hi, here's the fucking truth about diagnoses. Here's the truth about therapists. Here's the truth about human beings. Now deal with it. And I was loud enough that now I've been on like every big news station possible. And my goal is to say like, we are all fucking humans first and we live in the universe. So can you just sit with that for a fucking minute before you diagnose me? Thank you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It is so true. The psychiatrist's office that I've been in, I think that I probably, for my first psychiatry appointment, is when I went in when I was having suicidal ideation for the first time in my life three years ago. And I tell the listeners before that the only reason why I didn't kill myself is because A, I was too scared. Mm-hmm. And if I could have had a way to poof myself out of existence without actually having to do anything, and if I could have men in black erased my memory from everyone that loved me, yeah. then I would have done it because I was too scared to go through with the gory 
act. Mm -hmm. And then the only thing that kept me alive was I was the thought of my dog walking around my dead body afterwards and feeling like, what would she do? And when I thought of that, I was like, I actually hate myself so much that the only reason I will be alive is because I don't want my dog to suffer. I need help. And so I went to get help. I probably was in that, this man's office for five minutes. And I said, I think I have BPD. Like I actually think I do. It makes a lot of sense. And I didn't just do a quiz. Like I had done a lot of reading on this and he said, trust me, you don't want to have BPD. It's incurable is the word he used. Wow. It's incurable. (laughs) I'm going to treat you for bipolar too. So I left that office with Buspar, Lamictal, uh, Lexapro, and then Xanax. Yep. With no explanation of withdrawal. (laughs) Withdrawing from those drugs. I have worked at a drug and alcohol rehab center and I watched people withdraw from meth, heroin, alcohol, which alcohol is like the most horrible thing to watch people detox from actually. And I felt, Courtney, like I was withdrawing from heroin. Did Mm -hmm. that psychiatrist once tell me, do not quit these things cold turkey, like don't do anything. There are people I'm watching them like taking pills and like getting a pill cutter and like cutting their pills into like 16 different things to try to get wean themselves off these drugs. Like, right. It's criminal. Yeah. Like how did we get here? You know, and why? Like that's such a, like saying it's like saying you don't want borderline personality disorder. It's incurable. What came up for me was like, maybe it is incurable because it's all part of the human condition. Yes. Like what do you cure ourselves from our emotions? Exactly. Like nothing is really curable because, uh, you know, to a degree we can, yes, smallpox, let's say, you know, like we can eradicate certain things, but our responses our emotional, physiological, and interpersonal responses, the things that we experience in our lives have been evolutionarily carried on because our brain and body think that it's how we should respond in order to keep ourselves safe when certain things happen. So maybe it is incurable that when we experience sexual abuse as a child, that we become promiscuous as adults. Like, yeah, sorry, fucking about it. Like, how about yes. we change the world so that there's less sexual assault instead of just saying I'm incurable and put, put me in the corner. Exactly that. And the irony of it all is, in my opinion, you know, people with BPD, we need to maintain a strong access to our emotional responses in order to actually recover. Because part of DBT is like, you know, managing your reactions. When I was on all these drugs, I was a vegetable. Mm-hmm. I, I talked about seeing that Sarah McLaughlin commercial about all the starving dogs. And when I'm off meds, that will make me cry in like 0.5 <laughs> seconds. I cry all the time. I cry about everything. And now I've embraced that about myself. Like I love that I'm quick to cry now and I don't see that as a problem. But as soon as I was on all of those drugs, I couldn't cry anymore. And I feel yeah. like these drugs stop us from actually being able to recover. And then what happened was I start... I'm only on a a little bit of like a small dose and then my emotions start coming out. And then I go back to the doctor and I say, oh, I'm starting to feel these big feelings again. And they go, okay, we'll just up the dose. No problem. I I fucking can't. 
Like the fuck you have chronic feelings of emptiness. Let me fill you with prescription drugs for the rest of your life. Like how hopefully that'll make you feel more fucking fulfilled. And Lexapro doesn't go up more than like 40 milligrams. I'm not a doctor, but it's like, what happens when you hit the fucking ceiling? Right. They just give you like an antipsychotic instead because the antidepressant or mood stabilizer must not have been working as it. Yes. Yes. It is so horrific. Yeah. And I do want to say that medication can be helpful in the Absolutely. beginning mixed with coping skills. If you need it to regulate the neurotransmitters going on in your brain, when you are starting treatment, please do not be completely deterred from medication, but make sure that you take that prescription and that agreement to take medication from somebody that actually got the fuck to know you first yes, and has a good treatment plan for you moving forward in terms of how to get you off of it so that yep. you're not reliant on an external source for an internal problem. Absolutely. And that is something that I've told the listeners as well. Like SSRIs, they actually really helped stabilize me after I was in that suicidal state. But I think that especially as people with BPD, but this goes for everyone. You are your own best advocate when you are seeking mental health treatment. And this just puts aside the fact that so many people don't even have the privilege to even access any type of mental health treatment at all. But I didn't, I, before I was so Pollyanna about going to get help with mental health professionals where I sat down and I really just believed that they had Mm -hmm. my best interest at heart and that they knew what they were doing. I love how you said that if someone is throwing medications at you and they've only sat down with you for 10 minutes, that's probably a red flag. What are ways that you can find a good therapist when you have BPD? What should people be looking for? That's a great question. And, you know, I've actually run into some therapists that specialize in personality disorders that have a completely stigmatized view on it. Like you would think that going and talking to a professional that specializes in BPD or NPD or just cluster B in general would be extremely helpful. And there are some that are like, listen, I fully understand like the actual like genesis of these issues. And I want to help you recover from them. There are other people that believe that it's incurable and believe that they're going to do behavior management with you for the rest of your life versus actually helping you improve. So I think the first question that you should ask someone, even if they're specialized is what is your belief on my ability to get better? Like we need to ask that straight out of the bat. And the thing is, is therapists and psychologists and psychiatrists, some of them bank on the fact that we are going to just sit there and feel like they know, and that we're going to be too nervous to ask questions, especially because we have a low sense of self-worth and we don't want to be rejected. Even sitting in that room for five minutes, we want it to go well. We want to please, we want to, we, we want to do what we need to do. So we need to take advantage of that. If there's one thing that you need to do as somebody with BPD looking for a provider, step up your fucking game for that 10 to 15 minute free consultation call. Do whatever you got to do. Put all the coping skills that you know of in your like vicinity in that moment. And when you make that phone call or maybe have somebody make it with you, like here are the questions that I should ask. One, what do you think the success of me getting better likelihood is like, do you think I can improve? And then I would ask like, what do you believe the root cause of personality disorders to be in general? And then I would ask, I would ask, when do you think a client is in an emergency? 
because we don't want to get sent. Like there are therapists and, and maybe you could ask this question. I would answer this question outright, but it's because my, they, I wouldn't lose them as a client. But if you ask <laughs> like, um, what you want to know is, are they going to put their license ahead of you as a human being? Mm. If you come in and you're having chronic thoughts of existential dread and are feeling passive suicidality, like you're just thinking about it. It's on your mind. You don't have a plan. You don't have intent. Are they just going to fucking send you somewhere? Because their belief is that people who have BPD will try to end their lives every time. Like sometimes it's like, oh, well, yeah, I'll treat you. But like my license is really important and this is out of my scope. So I'm just going to send you off. What is your belief on the ability to recover from BPD? What is your belief on the basis of where BPD comes from? And when do you think it's time for somebody with BPD to go somewhere else other than in your office? And what have been some instances where you've had to send people somewhere else? And did they come back to you afterwards? People with BPD, often we are very disconnected from our gut instinct. And so it's like, it's like Courtney said, when you hear these things, you just have to use your gut. If yeah. you have like a bad feeling about the way when somebody answers these questions, which I did when I started interviewing therapists, mm-hmm. I was just like, that's a no-go. So what would your answers, if I was your client, what would your answers to those be? I would say that every human being has the capacity for change. And that anybody that tells you otherwise is telling you a load of bullshit. It's unlikely that they have never met someone that hasn't changed. So it's like everybody has changed. Everybody has the capacity to change. And that's exactly how I would say it. I would say, thank you so much for asking that question. And I believe that every human being that comes into my office has the capacity for change. And the reason for that is because your brain got you here and your brain can get you out. And then how would you answer the where you think personality disorder or BPD comes from? Yeah. I think some people would give you like the, a genetics and environment answer. And that's not wrong, but I would say that the symptoms of your borderline personality disorder came from your brain wanting you to stay alive. You're actually one of the strongest fucking people that could be sitting in front of me right now because all of these symptoms are manifestations of your actual desire to to survive and to live, even if sometimes your thoughts are telling you that you don't want to do that. And then the last question you asked was, what is your definition of an emergency, right? So how could people, what would your answer to that be? And what would an answer be that you, because they're not going to come out and ever say, I care about my license, right? Right. So what would your answer be to that? That would be your genuine answer. And then can you give an answer of what a, a professional may may say, if you could kind of guess that red flag vibe that if they, they would prioritize their license over you as a human? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess what I can give is like an example of something that actually happened to me. So Mm -hmm. like two weeks ago, so one of my best friends called me and he was a trigger warning for like active suicidality Mm -hmm. standing on a bridge. I heard the cars going by and he's like, I see all the signs. I see all the signs. They say like, don't jump, don't jump. That's when it's an emergency. Yep. Okay. That's when it's an emergency. When someone is sitting in my office and saying, I want to go to a bridge and jump off. It's like, you got to process that more. Okay. Because lots of people have those thoughts. Lots of people don't do them. Lots of people don't even try. Mm-hmm. 
I would want to have a conversation with you to determine, you know, if you are unsafe for yourself. And the only reason that you wouldn't tell me if you were unsafe for yourself genuinely is if I felt unsafe to you. Yes. Like that's huge. And I would say, I promise you that I will work with you to get to understand you as a human being. And if you tell me that you are safe, I will trust you. And here's why. Even if you are completely lying to me, it's not up to me Mm. to decide for you, but I will create the safest space I possibly can where you can be as honest as you possibly can. And I will only send you somewhere if we both agree that you need it. Or if I know you so well that I know that this is what's right for you, like with the instance with my friend, which was an obvious yes time to call. And I know that you won't be mad at me afterwards because you'll know that I had your best interest at heart. There are so many therapists where they just send their clients and they don't think it's a fucking problem that their clients never come back ever, ever. And like, I've had clients before where I've had to call and there's been a few months where they're like, oh, I'm so mad at you, but it's, they were mad because they didn't want to be alive. And then when they did again, it was, thank you. And you weren't wrong. And I haven't ever been wrong. And that's not, that's not some like flex, you know, that's Mm. only intentionally choosing clients and fully getting to know them before I start making choices for them. That's so beautifully put. That is so beautifully put. I love what you talked about, you know, just the thinking of like, what if I jumped in front of a bus? What if I did this? There is a phrase in French is called like lapel de vide. And it's like the call of the void. Mm-hmm. And it's like a universal experience that people, everyone has these feelings of like when you're standing in front of a train and you go like, what if I just like jumped? And then you kind of get that like, <gasps> like that yeah. like feeling that's yeah. lapel de vide. That's why. The, and also people in other languages have so much be- more beautiful phrases of like the depth of emotions and the spectrum of emotions. And I think that that's something that, not often it's like, you're so right. Mental health professionals just say, oh, I'm going to protect myself. And if you're talking about that, it's like you're cutting yourself off from actually being able to really dive into those feelings and dig into them more and also call them for what they are, which is like a universal human collective experience and, and feeling. Right. Well, and when we are telling other people that we are feeling this way, we are being vulnerable and we are trusting them. Yes. So let's not fuck it up. Like you're literally contributing to more heightened symptoms of feelings of abandonment and a loss of sense of self because it's like, oh, when I'm actually honest about how I'm feeling, I get put in a four by four wall. Oh, so fucking true. It's so true. And the way that you described your answer to that question, that connects someone so deeply to their sense of their agency, right? Because you're saying like, look, I'm going to trust you. And we can talk about these dark feelings, but you have to tell me if you're actually going, if it's like red alert status, like I've got a plan, I'm going to do it. Or is this just existential thoughts? And I trust you. And that's healing in psych, uh, just from psychological perspective is all about that. I talked to Stephanie, psychologist, Stephanie, who was on my podcast two weeks ago, where she said, it's all about connecting people back to their, their sense of agency. And that they have control over their life because people with BPD don't often feel like they have any control over anything. Yeah. Right. And when they're saying like, when, when we're saying like, 
I don't want to live, you know, it's because we feel so out of control already. And yes. then we are placed in like the one place where we literally lose all control and then placed on a bunch of meds so that our brains and bodies work the way that these people want our brains and bodies to work. And then there's like no follow-up and they don't care if it happens again. And it's like, I don't know. It's just such a fucking horrible cycle. It's mm. I, I know. Can't. I just want it to change. So I know. And we too. can only do what we can each do in our little areas, you know, and we just have to keep trying to do that. Just find the way that you can advocate, even if it's just for yourself and know that like, you may feel like some lonely piece of shit randomly in the world that's been diagnosed with BPD that nobody gives a fuck about. But I promise you that even when you feel that way, if you just start to advocate for yourself, even if it's just making posts on Instagram, talking about your own story, one follower, that's yep. another person around the world that thanks you for what you're doing. And that makes you that you're, that's seeing you. I'm you literally proof of this. I was in a really dark place and I, I had already got come a little bit further with my recovery, but once I started this page and this podcast, like it connected me so deeply with my agency because I was like, I can do something like I can help other people. And what you said is so true. Like find something and it doesn't have to be in the mental health. If you have BPD, you don't have to create a BPD page, but it's like, what's something you're passionate about? How can you start feeling like, because once people started following and listening, I was like, oh, I have a job to do now. Mm -hmm. Like these people are expecting to hear from me and it doesn't feel like pressure. It finally feels like I have something to offer. Like, and I could take also this thing that was so shameful and turn it into a way to create change. Exactly. I'd like to close out with two different questions. And one is, what is the advice that you would like give just words of encouragement? So many people come upon this podcast and they've been newly diagnosed with BPD. And so obviously we know what it's like to put BPD into google.com and see the shit that comes back. And then my other question will be for you is, I have so many teenagers that reach out to me and they, them reaching out for help is contingent upon their family, even a believing that they maybe have BPD also so much. So many people think that teens can't have BPD. And so, but we can start with the question of what is your advice for those who've just been diagnosed and they have that piece of paper in their hands and they're looking at it and they're like, now what the fuck do I do? What I would tell them to do, which is what I'll do right now as well, and I recommend it to anybody listening, is to close your eyes and to say thank you to your body and thank you to your mind. Mm. Because all that just happened after you got diagnosed was that you received words that prove that you have survived up until this point. That pe- that you've done things that people can't even comprehend doing in order to survive and that you are stronger than you may feel in this moment. And that strength and weakness is only a comparison between two different people's perspectives. And my perspective of what it is that you have done is overcome things that people can't even imagine. Get the courage and trust to go and figure out what's wrong with you. And now to be listening to this podcast to try to figure out what the hell to do about it. So I want to say thank you to your mind and to your body. And I hope that you can feel yourself saying that to yourself too, because 
you wouldn't be getting a diagnosis that you're trying to figure out if you took your life. Now, for those teenagers sitting in their room that they're always telling me like, I need a diagnosis. I need my parents to take me to get a diagnosis. And often what I say back to them is you don't need any type of piece of paper telling you anything. You can start working on things now. You can start working on be the best version of you now. And that's for anyone else out there too. I have adults that message me and they're like, I just need to get my diagnosis. because. <laughs> but then I go, what is getting a diagnosis going to actually change? Yeah. So what is what um what's your reaction to teenagers sitting there and they can't get their parents to take them to get mental health care what are some things that teens can do to help themselves yeah in a safe way the first thing is i think that that as teenagers we want identity and we want to group actually as human beings we want identity yeah. and we want to group so it makes sense that you would want a, a diagnosis, a label, words to define and describe your inner experience. And you may have BPD and you may not have BPD. What you do know is that you experience symptoms and write those symptoms down and then write your name on top instead of borderline personality disorder and realize that it's just you. This is just Beautiful. you. And you can then start to look at what those symptoms are define what they feel like and look like for you, and then find coping skills for those specific things that you experience. Because even people with diagnosed borderline personality disorder probably have more symptoms than the criteria of borderline personality disorder. And we are using different coping skills for different symptoms that we have on a broad scale. So you know what those symptoms are. You know what they feel like. And you know some of the things that you know that you need to do, like drink water or sleep better or journal or have that discussion you've been wanting to have. I think that's a good place to start. I think that's absolutely beautiful. And, you know, we're in an information age and there's blessings and curses that come with that. But the blessings are is that there is so much free information on YouTube, for example. Like if you know what you're looking for, you can use podcasts like this, podcasts like Courtney's. There's so many others out there that point you in the right direction of like mindfulness meditation. There's right. thousands of free mindfulness meditations. And man, I wish someone would have told me about mindfulness meditation when mm -hmm. I was a teenager. I wish I would have started off sooner. So it's like, take advantage of podcasts like this, where in the show notes, I'm going to link to a bunch of great resources and they're all free, but make sure that you're being a critical thinker about the things that you do digest, because while there's amazing res resources out there, they're also very um, stigmatized and unhelpful resources as well. So yeah. What is your reaction to that? I thought, saw you want to say something. Yeah. I just wanted to add that, that we like, for example, if we're reading an article on BPD and we resonate with all of, all of the article, all of what the article says, and then there's a sentence that just says something where that's just completely fucking demoralizing just ignore that sentence. Yes. Just Don't split. Don't split on right. the resources, homies. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just because yeah, just because most of the information feels true to it doesn't mean all of it is. So please just keep that in mind. Absolutely. It's so true. And I quite often will get this on one of my posts the other day. Uh, I quoted the book, I Hate You, Don't Leave Me. 
And there were like 17 comments that were like, I can't believe from this account, you quote the most stigmatized book. That, <laughs> and, and I just literally commented back and I said, I think part of BPD recovery is not even splitting on books. Like yep. there is good information in that book. Do I think that the title can be really triggering when you're first uh, starting out? Sure. But it's like, don't discount a whole ass book just right, because right. <laughs> you are annoyed by something, right? And also don't, and then these people all unfollowed my account. So can you imagine all of the incredible free resources that you listener would miss out on if you're unfollowing someone just because they say something that triggered right. you, right? So my last question, what is next for Dr. Courtney? Like, what is, you've talked a little bit about how now you're going to be going on, um, the, you're going to be participating and partnering with the LA times to continuously contribute to them, which is such an incredible fucking amazing achievement. And I speak for myself that like, I'm so happy that someone like you is going to have a bigger platform and a voice. You mentioned, I think you were working on a book. So like <laughs> people out there with BPD, if you think that we can't do shit, This is a shining example. So in your own words, like what's next? What can we look for? Um, What, where would you like our listeners to find you? I'd love to close out with all of these things. Thank you. Well, I have a website, thetruthdoctor.com, where you can find everything that I'm about to mention. I have a podcast called The Truth Doctor Show, which I will be revamping and restarting in January or February of next year. Um, I'm writing a book. It's called Your Unconscious is Showing. And what it's really about is everything that I just mentioned about how we live in a society that affects us from the top down. So if you have ever felt out of place in your career as a parent with your parents, um, when you were in school, when you were in relationships or just within yourself, I'm going to dive into like how the unconscious processes of our mind and body and interpersonal workings have created the world that we live in today that tells us that there's something wrong with us when in fact there's something wrong with it. And how when they say like your unconscious is showing like, oh, there's something wrong with you internally, like, well, the world's unconscious is showing and I'm prepared Mm. to like release it and basically call them all the fuck outs. So that book will be coming out in the beginning of 2023, but it'll probably be available for pre-order within the next eight or nine months, which is incredible. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. On top of your unconscious is showing the book, I'm creating an album that goes along with that book that will be an audio visual experience that describes my entire life leading up to my borderline personality disorder diagnosis and what I've done about it since then. And there's a charity called Your Unconscious is Showing as well that will be launching soon that's going to start to do art exhibits because creativity is a part of how I express what goes on with me internally, as you guys will see if you follow me on my platforms, which are at the period truth period doctor on TikTok and Instagram. And these art installations will be a bunch of different diagnoses based and all of the proceeds will go to help people with those diagnoses. So we'll get to destigmatize mental health and have people who actually experience the disorders creating the art. So it'll just really infuse that mental health diagnoses are so much more than just words. And I so, may, you know, not, not much going on, not much. <laughs> you know, casual, no, no big, no big deal. That is fucking incredible. And Thanks. We are all lucky to be having you out there as an advocate and a shining example of someone who lives and walks the walk of BPD recovery. Now, 
do you meet the the criteria for BPD anymore? I don't, but I still feel it. Like, yep. Like a really quick example is like chronic feelings of emptiness. Okay. Or like, it's like, I feel so fulfilled, but the hole is still there. Yep. And I don't think it will ever go away, but that doesn't mean that I'm uh, symptomatic of that chronic feeling of emptiness. So do I qualify? No. Do I still have it all? Yeah. And I'm not afraid to say it. And I'm not afraid for that to be the truth either. I feel strong enough to experience borderline personality disorder and not be it. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for offering your time today, Courtney, to come on the podcast. I hope in the future we can have you on again so that we can talk about more, more topics, more research, because obviously this field is rapidly transforming and I'm sure there'll be questions from the audience, but I encourage everyone to go follow Courtney and check out her website. And I will link to all of those things in the show notes so people can easily find you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Courtney. Yeah. Thank you. So I hope you enjoyed that lovely conversation with Courtney. I want to remind you that there are tons of good resources in the podcast episode description, so don't forget to check that out. Second thing I want to say is if you're enjoying this podcast, share it with someone you love, share it with a friend, share it with your therapist. Secondly, if the place where you're listening to this podcast allows you to write a review and rate the podcast, please do that because it really helps me out a lot. And thirdly, we are on Patreon. So if you go to www.patreon.com slash back from the borderline and you would like to get more insights from me, want direct contact with me, you can do that on Patreon. Also, if you're not following the podcast on Instagram yet, we are BPDT, that's BPDTEA, and I'm constantly posting on Instagram. There's lots of other people going through the same thing that you are, so join in on the community. Thank you so much again for tuning in, and that's all from me. I'm going to roll those outro credits now. Have an amazing week. All right, that's it for today's episode. I just want to thank you so much for listening. Out of all the podcasts in the world, you chose to listen to mine, and that's amazing, and it means a lot to me. If you like what you heard today and you want to be notified as soon as each new episode drops, I got you. The best way is to follow my podcast. So if you're listening on Apple Podcasts on an iPhone, you'll want to search Back from the Borderline, click into the show's homepage, and then click that tiny plus sign in the upper right-hand corner of your screen. It will turn to a check mark, and then you are officially following the podcast. Now you'll never miss an episode. If you love this content and this podcast and you want to support me as I continue doing this, following the podcast is the best way to do that. If you want to get access to detailed show notes for each episode, connect with me on socials, or reach out to collaborate, you can find all that and more at backfromtheborderline.com. You can also connect with me by writing a review in Apple Podcasts. 
Do you have a specific question you'd like me to answer or a topic you'd like covered on a future episode? Start with an honest rating or review of the show, and in the body of your review, include the question or topic you'd like me to address. It is my hope that you have the most amazing day, but if it isn't quite amazing, I hope at least our time together made it a little bit better. All right, until next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back from the Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon booklist recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.